All right. Good morning, Real Life. How's it going? We are welcoming in our Pullman campus, so we need to give a shout out to our Pullman peeps. We're glad to have them along with us, and uh, we're going to get into this new series. Let me tell you kind of the impetus for this series. This is not our stuff, so throughout this series, you're probably going to hear phrases, statements, things, ideas that you're like, well, that's not the way real life says it. Well, it doesn't make it wrong. It's just said a little bit differently, and the reason is because it's not our stuff. Here's why it's not our stuff. Let me give you a little story. Um, when we came into this building, we, you know, giving series, stewardship series are an annual event on the church calendar. And so we do one every year and we had, it was very creative. We called it Genero City, City, and we talked about being generous and all this stuff, you know, and our church grew population wise, we grew 47%. And our giving went down 25%. Here's what this tells us. We suck at giving money talks. That's what that tells us. When we write our own stuff, it is not good. It is, does not turn out well. It doesn't. And so uh, I'm done trying to be creative about it. Uh, so we're going to do this. So... We're going to talk about a, the ABCs of financial success. We've provided a book for you, free book, one per family. You can go to the Next Steps desk after the service and get a copy of it. If you want to buy the workbook to actually work through it and stuff, that's $3. That's it. Um, so it's easy for you to get that. But um, the, So we're going to go through A, B, C, and D. And then the fifth week, we have a, the author of the book is going to come in and speak and, and uh, talk to us about why this is so important to him. Uh, let me be honest with you about this, uh, because everybody's like, yeah, I bet you're... It's kind of like when a husband tells a wife she should be a better wife, right? Well, of, of, course, of course he's going to say that, because he gets all the benefit from it, right? Of course the church is going to talk about money, because they're going to get all the benefit of the money. Well... I hope our weekly giving doubles. So now that we got that on the table, let's move on. <laughs> I do. I hope it doubles. I can tell you this. It won't mean jack squat for how much money I make. It won't mean that. What it means uh, is about what we do as ministry in the community. That's what it, the difference it'll make. But that being said, a secondary piece to this that is equally important, if not more important, is your own personal financial freedom. Because I think a lot of us would give more if we weren't saddled with so much debt, if we weren't in bondage. We're slaves to our finances. And this is a series that will help you become unslaved. This is like at the end of Braveheart, right before he dies, right? Freedom! That's what this series is. This is for you. And so uh, that's what this series is really about. Yeah, I want, I want the church to have more money. I want to be able to do more things in the community. I want to be able to impact the kingdom of God more. I want to be able to do all those things. So, yep, I want the church's giving to go up. And, and, and let's be honest, any pastor that says anything different is at some level pulling your leg. If it was like, I don't care if the church gets a dime. No, I do care. I care if the church gets a dime. And the truth is, the church's money isn't about fundraising. Like we're not, this isn't a fundraising campaign. This is not. 
This is about us understanding God and how God relates to our money. And that matters. Okay? So today we're talking about the A of the ABCs. That is our attitude. And so we're going to throw this out. I want to show you. Uh, we're going to start in First Chronicles 29, and we're going to begin the story. What's going on is David is at the end of his reign as king, and he wants to build God a house. The war, the fighting is over. He wants to build God a house. And he says to God, God, it's not fair for me to live in a house while you're living in a tent. And God says, you're right, but I don't need a house. The problem for David wasn't God needing a house. The problem for David was he didn't want to live someplace nicer than where his God was. But God doesn't need a house. He was fine with the tents. So maybe, maybe we should be. Moral of the story. Now, God says, okay, I'll let my house be built for him, but you can't build it because you got too much blood on your hands, right? So he hands it off. He starts to accumulate the supplies for Solomon to build the temple. And this is kind of in this transition point where he is doing this. The problem is God gives these kind of specs for what the temple's supposed to be, and then Solomon takes it to a whole new level. He's like, look at this big building, gold, gold laid all the way, ceilings, walls, floors, all the way around it, gold. I mean, it was this incredible facility. And, and the problem with it isn't that he tried to do this, because at one level he's like, look, at this is how important my God is. But the downside to it was the queen of the south comes up not to hear about his God, but to look at his temple. And that's a problem. So this, this prayer that we're going to read from David is right in that transition between him and Solomon, and it shows us why David is a man after God's own heart. What is it that is in his attitude that allows us to see him as a man after God's own heart? So let's start by reading this. Therefore, you guys are learning. Good job. Because he's in this process of handing all this off, he's accumulated the possessions, and he's getting ready to commemorate and set aside Solomon as the king. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. How much of what's in heaven and earth is his? Do you believe that? Does your giving show it? Uh, don't tell me what you believe up here because I can tell you this. Your life will tell me exactly what you actually believe no matter what words come out of your mouth. Your life will show, show it. Not being judgmental, it's the truth. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? I love that. Like, God, you're incredible, amazing. All this stuff. Like, who am I that you would even receive my gifts? Like, why would you even? 
can count me worthy to, to have the privilege of giving to you? Hmm, maybe that's a perspective. For all things come from you, and of you, your own, we have given to you. So, all things come from whom? And when we give back to him, what are we giving him? What's already his. How much of our stuff is his? For we are strangers before you and sojourners as, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for, a building, for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Five things that David says in this that I want to quickly go through to help you see David's attitude. This is what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Let's check these out. Number one, all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours. This was David's attitude. It all belongs to you anyway, God. So whatever you say to do with it, that's what I'm going to do with it. Make sense? Okay, number two, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. Where does riches and honor come from? Comes from my hard work. Yeah, but the problem is the Bible says that it's God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So yeah, you worked hard, but it was God who blessed it and kept you healthy and gave you energy. Oh, and that breath you just took, that's God's too. Next, in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Next, who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? I love David's perspective here because he's not in a negotiation with God to say, well, God, I know you said this, but can we translate it this way? Or I know you, you said this, but did you, you probably didn't really mean that because we'll do it over here. We'll do it this way. Listen, if you want the blessing of God in your life, you must do God's things God's way. You can't do God's things your way and expect God's results. And we're robbing ourselves of that. What I love about this is he's like, I don't have any pretense about my position in this relationship. Like, I'm just me and he's God. I don't have any position of negotiation here. Well, God, you know, you don't really, I mean, you don't really know what you're talking about. I, if you just understood this perspective from my great intellect, then you would understand that I'm right, right? Like, um, no, God's probably outthought you on that one already. He knows, like, everything. Next, everything that we gave you was already yours. And that's so critical. There is not a dime in your checking account and some of you could just like you could just stop right there, and that would be true. Uh, <laughs> there's not a dime in your checking account that isn't God's already. Even even the money that He lets you keep for your living expenses, it's all God's. It's all His. Every penny of it. And what I want you to understand is that your attitude determines everything. Your attitude about that determines everything. This is the most important thing that we can, like your attitude is the foundation upon which the rest of your life will be built. Well, we can say it's like faith and all that. Yeah, but you can have faith and be um, mean 
mean-spirited human being, and it doesn't matter what your faith is. If you have faith and you understand your position in life and how much God loves you and be thankful for that rather than be like, oh my goodness, church is asking for money. Listen, we're not fundraising. What we're asking you to do is be faithful with what God's asking you to do. Like we don't love you if we don't give you that opportunity. Attitude determines everything. Let's look at this proverb, 17.22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I mean, if you've, been, you've been around people that are just, they're just life suckers. Like they, they brighten a room by leaving it, right? You know, you know these people. Everybody knows these people. You're like, I don't know anybody. I'm just messing. But there are, kind of. But there are these people that, like, and I've talked about this before, they have the, the vacuum hose come out of their belly button, and they plug it into the side of your head and suck the life out of you, right? And then when you don't have no more life to give, they'll disconnect it and move to the next person, right? They're like life energy black holes. Because not, listen, I get it. Like it's not simple for some of these people. They're deeply and profoundly wounded. And I'm not saying that that wound isn't real and legit. What you have to understand is our ability to grow through those wounds and scars is largely dependent on the attitude with which we approach them. And that is an attitude. All right. All right. Your attitude determines everything. You know, I've, I've, you guys know this. I've been talking about wrestling because that's kind of my world right now. I've been chasing the wrestlers around because I've been coaching with them. And this is a big talk in our conversation in the wrestling room because wrestling is such a, I love it. It's such a metaphor for life because like half of our team was sick this weekend. Like when you're sick playing football or basketball, guess what you do? You rest on your team to carry the load. When you're sick in wrestling, guess what you do? You stand out there in the mat and you take your lumps or you find a way to win. I love it. Not because, I, I don't I mean, I don't care about the wins and the losses. What I care about is the, I am going to determine what kind of a human being I'm going to be in this moment. I love that. I love life experiences that force us to stand in the face of something and choose who am I going to be in this moment. Attitude determines everything. Your attitude about your finances will determine whether or not you have the money to give. So I want to give you five attitudes that we've got to change from and two that will help us get through this process, okay? Uh, so attitude number one, let's go. From I don't need a plan to if I don't follow God's plan, I don't have a prayer. Let me tell you honestly, most Americans spend more time planning a two-week vacation than they do planning how to steward their finances, we just kind of wing it. And what happens, and I had a financial planner tell me this, that what happens is you get this kind of lump of money on payday and you start spending. And then about five to seven days before you get paid again, and if you get paid weekly, that's not real great. Uh, <laughs> you start to, you watch it kind of whittles down. And then you start to check your bank online every day. Like, oh, is there money in there? Well, I guess I can spend. Is it, oh, there's no more money. I got to quit spending. Like, this is our plan. This is our plan. And we're like, what did we buy for that? Like, where did the money go? 
We don't know. We don't know where the money went because we don't have a plan. This is why people can get like, if you're like, well, if I had millions and millions of dollars, I would be a certain, no. The, the lottery winners prove this again and again and again, right? Like they get millions and millions of dollars dumped on them all at once. And the average is within five years, they're broke again. It's not about how much money you have. It's about the plan with which we deal with it. Got to have a plan and it better be God's plan. Now, next one, next attitude. Uh, next one, next slide. There we go, next slide. Yeah, there we go. Stay with me. All right. From what do I do with my money is my business, what I do with my money is my business, to what I do with God's money is God's business. Listen, it's not yours. But I made it. Like we act like children with this. It's mine. No, it isn't. We already agreed that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all his. I want to tell you a story quickly out of Joshua 7. So what happens is the, the children of Israel, they've been wandering around the desert. They come across the Jordan River and then they come to Jericho, right? You remember the story? And they march around the city once for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they march around seven times and they blow trumpets and the walls fall down because that's a battle strategy. And God says to them, this is the first city that you will conquer in this new land. It's mine. Makes sense, right? Like, that's not out of the question. Like, this is the first thing, and so we're going to dedicate it to the Lord. And here's what God says. He says, I want you to take every single thing in the city and burn it. Which seems so wasteful. Right? Like, this month, the gold in this, it could be taken to help the poor. It could be, it could pay my cell phone bill, right? Like, it could make my house payment. Um, seems wasteful, except the problem is we don't get to pick whether or not it's wasteful. What we get to pick is do we do with God's stuff what God says? Well, this guy named Achan takes a, a bar of gold and a bar of silver worth roughly $125,000 to $150,000 in today's money. So it's a sizable chunk, but it's just like compared to what all was in the town, not nothing. It was nothing, right? Chapter 7 opens in the book of Joshua with this statement. And the children of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, wait a minute. No, they didn't. Just Achan, just Achan did, right? Just Achan did. But the problem is, when God sees one person in his spiritual community that doesn't do with his things what he says his way, everybody pays the price. And so what happens is, they go up to conquer Ai, which was spelled... AI, pretty creative, um, with just a few soldiers because this is a nothing city and 36 men lose their life. 36 families without dads. 36 wives without husbands anymore because one man was unfaithful with God's things. 
And I wonder if perhaps one of the reasons why the church in America is losing influence doesn't have something to do with the fact that we're not being faithful with God's things. We're taking God's stuff and building our own world with it. And that will never go well. And see, here's the problem. When you do that or I do that, everybody pays the price. Which is not very Western and individualistic, but the problem is we're not part of an individual relationship with God. We're part of a community. And you have to understand the weight I must do with God's things what God says. Are you with me? Does your giving show it? Ooh, not so many answers that time. Third attitude. From there's nothing I can do to there's nothing God can't do. Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. Does your giving show it? This is one of those realities, like this is a rubber meets the road reality in our life. Do we have the faith to believe that God can do anything and are we willing to risk it all to prove it? Next one, I gotta run. Number four, from giving to get something to giving for no other reason than I love God. And, And here's the deal, I've preached these sermons and the Bible says test me. This is the only place in our lives where God says to test him. There's lots of places where he's like, don't put the Lord your God to the test. This is one of those things in giving to him, this is one of those places where he says test me. So there is something, but the problem is when we give so that he'll bless us, that's not giving. That's backdoor taking. That's still rooted in selfishness, right? So we've got to stop giving to get something and simply give because God says, I, and he's, gosh, he's, a, he's incredible God. He's worth it. He's worth it. Uh, next one, number five. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Go, yeah. Go, go back to the levels of giving. I want to show you this levels of giving. Levels of giving. First level of giving is hesitant. Hesitant givers, they don't know if they can trust God. They don't think they can afford to give. So if you're like, how would I even do You're sitting there like, okay, so but how would I even do that? Hesitant giver. These are the kind of people that when they walk by the wooden boxes after the service, they're, gonna, they're probably going to write a check and they're going to be like this. You know, and, and then have to run away before they try to open the box and get dig back out, dig the check back out. Good news, it's locked. You can't get it. So just <laughs> drop it and go. Shall we go? Because we live in North Idaho, so somebody probably try to make change in the if they. Uh, so we lock it. The whole twenty's got to go down. <laughs> that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. <laughs> They don't know they can afford to give. They can think of all the reasons why not to give. Well, but are you really expect me to believe that God would want me to give? I don't have any, like I barely make my house payment. Right, turn your cable off. Turn your cell phone in. Do you know that there's 10,000 years of human history where people survived without cell phones? Yes. Thrived even. <laughs> Use a pay phone. 
uh, can think of all the reasons why not to give. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but there are coffee shops and restaurants all over Moscow that have free internet. A union had to pay for internet. And the internet makes the world go round. Right? But it's awfully inconvenient. Is it really inconvenient to be faithful with God's things God's way? Is that really inconvenient? Or is it just another excuse? Like, at least call a spade a spade. Next level. Four levels again. Obedient. Do what, doing what they are supposed to do. They're obedient. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, the Bible says I ought to do this, so I'm doing it. They're not necessarily joyless about it. They're not mad about it. They're not necessarily, jo- they're like, woo, we're giving, yeah. They're not, they're not either way. They're just like, this is what I'm supposed to do, so this is what I do, and that's as far as it goes. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. Is, this, is it wrong to be here? No, it's not wrong to be here. I think uh, there's some maturing in that that can still happen because you can experience tremendous joy in giving. Uh, next one is an abundant giver. Do what they're supposed to do and beyond. They bring the tithe and give above that, beyond what is expected to what is exhilarating. They're full of joy and expectation about what God can do. If that's the way you want to live your life, full of joy and expectation about what God can do, I can tell you this, giving is how you get there. It is how you get there. Next one. Is an extravagant giver. They give sacrificially. They bring God's tithes and give an offering and then give beyond that if needed. Love to give and look for ways to give. These are people that carry money around in their pocket for no other pers- purpose other than to be generous. And what I can tell you is this will do a couple of things for you. Number one, it will tune your eyes into the needs of the world. And at, number two, it will empower you to feel like you have something that you can do about it. Whether that need is simple, like somebody doesn't have enough money in the grocery line, or it's more complex like this single mom's gonna get her heat turned off. Doesn't matter where it, comes, where it has to go, extravagant givers find money in their life just for that purpose. Just for that purpose. And the problem is we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about money. We don't want to talk about, in our culture, it's a, it's a taboo subject, which is hysterical because we have more of it than any country in the world. And if we run out, we just print more. Like, what's the problem, right? Like, we have so much, we have money run out of our ears. And we don't want to talk about it. It's like this touchy subject. We don't want to talk about it. Why? Here's why. Because where your money's at is what reveals where your God is. And we don't want to talk about it. And so what happens is new believers come into the church and they're like, they hear, be generous. They don't know what that means. They don't know what that means. And so what what I say is you've got to share your testimony of the faithfulness of, you've got to share it with people. You've got to share it with people. So for example, my wife and I give 18.5% of our income. 13.5% goes to our church. And then we give 6% in other places like uh, parachurch organizations, world vision, different things, like things that we're particularly passionate about. Um, we give to those things as well. So before we ever start living, we're already living on 80% of what we make. Here's what I can tell you. If you are faithful to do God's things God's way, God will do more with your 80 or 90% that you keep than you can do with 100% on your own. And that is a statement of faith, but
but it's also a statement of, you look at my life. I'll tell you of the blessings of God. What we've got to do is start taking God at his word. Like, do we believe that God means what he says? It shows up in our attitude. Fifth, fifth and final. From honoring God with my wealth is where I want to end up to honoring God with my wealth is where I want to begin. Be clear, but if you're like, I don't have wealth, I got like 20 bucks. Okay, then take out wealth and stick 20 bucks in there. From honoring God with my 20 bucks is where I want to end up to honoring God with my 20 bucks is where I want to begin. Be clear about this. Tithing, giving, generosity, offering, however, stewarding God's money God's way is an elemental spiritual concept, not one for the spiritually mature. This is a basic reality of life. And so we want to be clear, like this isn't a place where we want to wind up someday. It's a place where we want to begin. Because it really is rooted in this simple reality of doing God's things with his things his way. And I would suggest this, for some of us, we do the right thing the wrong way. And so for some of us, we're, we're tithing, but we're not tithing God's way. We're giving 10%, but we're not, we either we're trying to spread it around because we feel like we ought to have a say-so in where it goes and how it's spent. You can do that with your offerings, and you should. But your first tenth belongs to the Lord, and you do with it what he says. And before you say, well, I don't like how the church spends the money, that is not your call. N- number one, it's not your call. That is between them and the Lord. Now, do you believe that the Lord works in those people enough to be able to help them steward it well? Do you believe that? Secondly, do you believe that God will hold to an account those who are stewarding the money that is given to the church? So it's not your job to do it. It's your job to obey what the Lord's asked you to do. Do God's things God's way. And what happens is we do God's things, but we do it our own way, and we wind up robbing ourselves of the blessing of being a giver to begin with. It's all rooted in our attitude. It's all rooted in our attitude. Right? I, I love this. I don't have time for this, but I don't care. I love this, like... When people give to nonprofits in general, there's this evil demon of overhead. The, I want my money to go to the mission. I want my money to be about the thing that I care. I want my money to be there and none of this other stuff. I don't want a dollar of my money to go to the overhead. Well, let me sell, tell you this scenario. If you don't have overhead, you don't have church you're sitting in right now, first of all. Secondly, my dad's salary is 100% overhead. And you know what he does with it? He provides free marriage counseling. Now look at the marriages that were saved over the last 10 years and say, you know what? You're just overhead. (laughs) If you don't have overhead, you don't have the organization, number one. And number two, who cares? It's still your job to do God's things, God's way with God's stuff. Man, that chap, I'm upset. I feel like I'm at a wrestling tournament. This, this, I, I get ramped about this because people, li, listen, every time that you say, that you say from your position, well, I don't know how the church is using its money. What's it doing with all that stuff? You're calling my character into question. 
So you better have the guts to do it to my face so we can talk about it or just keep your trap shut. Because we can't solve anything when people are let, sitting behind a wall lobbing accusation grenades. Right? That doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help anybody. I got to shut up. We're moving towards the Lord's table. With that in mind, we're moving towards the Lord's table. I'm sure you feel real spiritual now. Whew. I got to breathe. I gotta, and I'll probably have to repent of that. But I, please understand, like, you have to know this. Before you say, well, I don't like how the church uses the money. There are men and women who have wept in prayer over how we spend the dollars given to this church. Because we know that we're gonna give an account before God about every dime that comes through here. I'm sorry if you can't stand with that. And I would say this, I'll give you the freedom. If you can't support how our church is using the money, go to a place where you can. But if you can't support any church that's given their money, then I'll just suggest this. It's not the church's problem. Do with God's things, God's stuff, God's way. This is our attitude. And it's critical that we get that right. While they're passing that out, I want to say this. If you're new with us, we have an open table. What that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in it, but we want you to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. So we're going to work through a couple of implications. Implication number one, God wants all of us to be extravagant givers, but we can't get there doing the same things we've always done. Right? If you don't want to get what you've always gotten, then don't do what you've always done. If you want God to work new in your life, try some new things. Try some new things. Next one. Our attitude about giving to the Lord should be joyful and generous. Now, I've had people say to me over the years, multiple times, you know, God, the Bible says that God wants a joyful giver that we shouldn't give grudgingly or under compulsion. So because I can't be a joyful giver, I, shouldn't, I don't have to give anything. Okay, well, first of all, read the passage. What it's talking about there is you are going to give something, whether you like it or not, you might as well give joyfully. That's what the passage is actually saying. Secondly, what I would say to you honestly and from the bottom of my heart, and, I, and I'm, again, I'm not angry, but from the bottom of my heart, if you can't give to the Lord joyfully, you have no idea what it feels like to be a slave in Egypt. Never forget that it was I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Like we, we feel like, I don't know, like, the, it's, it's almost, and I don't want to accuse anybody of motives, but it's almost a smug arrogance with which we approach God. Like our opinion matters in the conversation. There needs to be a deeper humility in that. And it leads to joyful giving. Last implication. We must commit to doing God's things God's way. This is the only way to attain God's results in our life. 
My dad used to say this to me all the time. My dad's from Kentucky. He's, forgive him, he's from the holler of Kentucky, like back in the holler. Uh, So he has all kinds of folksy wisdom. Uh, that he gives, he used to give us when I was, and usually I would be like, uh, you know, the hilarious thing is now that I'm an adult, I watch my kids and I'm like, I hear my father as I speak. I'm like, oh, what was that? Uh, uh, there, were, there were two statements that he used to say to me all the time that I still hang on to for my own personal life. One is, uh, as we walked out the door when we were going out to do whatever we were going to do, he would always say, remember who you are. Or, and then he changed it to say, remember whose you are. The other thing is that he always used to say to us is um, the right thing done the wrong way becomes the wrong thing. And I think for a lot of us, guys, we are sitting in this world of financial stewardship, doing the right thing maybe even, but doing it from the wrong place or the wrong way, and it's become the wrong thing in our life. And I would just invite you, your attitude changes all of that. Your attitude can change all, it can unlock whole new worlds of understanding who God is and his plan and purpose for your life. I just want you to know that when your attitude's right with the Lord, it's gonna look a lot like what communion represents. It's gonna be a laying down of our life, not a promoting of our own agenda. It reminds us that Jesus, as our example, took bread on the night that he was betrayed and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so Lord, I just wanna ask that you would give us the courage to take you at your word. And Lord, for those of us that are wrestling um, with this new truth, with the implications of this truth in our life, God, you've proved yourself faithful through the ages. You've proved yourself faithful a million, million times in this very issue. So prove yourself faithful once again. We give our lives to you knowing that it all belongs to you anyway. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.